Thanks for reading, Catherine. Great to see you all. Um, it's a low Sunday, but small in number, but um, may God bring a double blessing to those of us that are, are here. Um, I want to start by um, getting you to turn in twos or threes, if you're happy, and just discuss for half a minute what will happen when you die. What, what do you think your experience will be after death? Okay, just um, discuss that for a few moments. That is kind of what we're thinking about this morning. Okay, I'm sure you could carry on talking for a while. Um, I hope that's got you thinking. Um, I'm pretty excited about this morning because when I first understood what I'm teaching you this morning, I was thrilled. Uh, I think up until that point, I'd never really understood what it is that we're hoping for as Christians, not in any real kind of concrete sense, uh, what we're looking forward to beyond death. And I'd never really understood what the resurrection was all about, why it was so significant. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we'll, um, we'll dig into this passage. Father, we pray this morning that you'd help us to understand the resurrection more deeply and its implications for us, for this whole creation, and that you would enable us to be people who live with a sure and certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you noticed that we've slowed down again in our journey through Luke? We spent, I think, four weeks in chapter one. Then we sped up and spent, whatever it was, three or four months covering chapters two to 23. And now we've slowed down again. We're taking five weeks to get through the last chapter, chapter 24. And hopefully uh, that's going to help us to really uh, come to grips with the resurrection and, uh, and what it means. We've got two more weeks after this. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, I've got the verse up on the screen, if Christ has not been raised, then our faith is futile. You know, if the resurrection never happened, then Paul says we are to be pitied more than any other people. And I wonder if that is how we see it. Is the resurrection of Jesus that important to us? Or is it simply just one more thing to tick in the Apostles' Creed when we read it through, but it doesn't really have any impact on our lives. Given Paul's statement in 1 Corinthians, it is amazing how many church leaders have thrown doubt on the bodily resurrection of Jesus. You know, I think it was a while ago, maybe 2002, 2003, a survey was conducted in the UK and found a third of Church of England clergy didn't believe in 
the resurrection of Jesus, the bodily resurrection of Jesus. But the only way that you can do that, the only way you can deny the resurrection is if, if you tear pages out of the Bible. And one of the key pages you'd have to tear out is this one, Luke 24. In these verses, we see how important it was for Jesus to demonstrate that he had been raised bodily from the dead. So look again at verse 36 in Luke 24. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them, his disciples, and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why did doubts rise in your minds? The risen Jesus appears to his disciples, those who've been with him for three years or so, and they respond with fear. There's something wonderfully refreshing about this, isn't there? These first disciples were not kind of super believers who took the resurrection in their stride. No, they were skeptics just like us. They were people who said, I'll believe it when I see it. They weren't expecting Jesus to be raised from the dead. They weren't even hoping that Jesus would be raised from the dead. And yet they became so convinced, so persuaded that he had raised from the dead, they were willing to lose their lives for that claim. How did they become convinced? Two big things, the empty tomb, and they met the risen Jesus for themselves. It's lovely to see how patient Jesus is as he helps his disciples to believe. I think it encourages us to be patient as we seek to share our faith and help those around us to believe too. Notice how Jesus gives the disciples concrete proof that he really has risen. He invites them, if you like, to conduct three experiments on him. Uh, look down at verses 39 to 43. Can you spot the three experiments? Firstly, he says, look. There we go, highlighted. Um, look, use your eyes. See that it is I myself. Look at my hands and my feet. Check out the nail marks. It's really me, the one who was crucified, now risen from the dead and alive. Experiment two, you tell me, what is it? First one, look. Second one, touch. Yeah, use your hands. Come and touch me and see. I've got a physical body, flesh and bones. I'm not a ghost. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And what's the third experiment? Look, touch, eat. Yeah, eat. He says, have you got anything here to eat? And they give him some broiled fish. I'm, I've never eaten broiled fish. Uh, but the, the implication is ghosts don't eat fish, do they? So Jesus helped his disciples to believe, to believe that he had been raised with a physical body. It wasn't a hallucination. They weren't seeing a ghost. It wasn't a subjective spiritual experience. No, the big thing about the resurrection is that it's physical. It's something that happened in this real physical world. It's something that has profound implications for this physical world and every person living in it. Now, the next bit's crucial. We now need to make the link. We've got Jesus' physical resurrection, and then we've got our hope as Christians, what is the connection? What's the link between the two? Uh, this is the important bit. Prod your neighbor if they've drifted off. In his resurrection, Jesus has not simply come back to life from the dead. 
He hasn't come back to the same kind of life he had before he died. In his resurrection, Jesus has gone through death into a new form of existence. The resurrection of Jesus is the beginning of the new creation. Jesus' resurrection body is the first piece of incorruptible matter. Now that sounds like a physics lecture, doesn't it? If this is blowing your mind, stick with me. The resurrection of Jesus reveals that God has not given up on this world, but he's going to renew it. He's going to transform it. But he's not going to transform it into something completely different. He's going to transform it into something completely perfect. Just as Jesus' resurrection body was still his body, but it had been glorified, so God is going to glorify this world. It'll still be this world, this real physical world, but it'll be renewed, perfected, glorified, wonderful. And the resurrection assures us that we will be part of that, that our bodies, physical bodies, will be raised and renewed and transformed to be like Jesus' resurrection body. Little illustration. Come back from the physics lecture. Uh, if you've been to South Africa, you may know why the Cape of Good Hope is called the Cape of Good Hope. It's the Cape at the bottom. For those whose history is a bit rusty, let me fill you in. In the Middle Ages, everyone was speculating about whether there was a way to get from Europe round by sea to India, the land of rich spices and perfumes. All attempts at rounding the Cape at the bottom of Africa had failed. Uh, there have been so many shipwrecks, it was called the Cape of Storms. However, one determined sailor called Vasco da Gama in 1499 proved that such a route existed. He got through the waters, round the Cape, and the name was changed from the Cape of Storms to the Cape of Good Hope. Now, until the day that Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead, with a flesh and bones body, death was for us like the Cape of Storms, wasn't it? All our human attempts to figure out what lay on the other side uh, had failed. People had their theories, but no one knew with confidence. The resurrection of Jesus has turned death into the Cape of Good Hope. He's ended the speculation and opened up for us a way into a rich land into a sure and certain hope. And his resurrection with a flesh and bones body shows that this life to come will be a bodily existence in a real physical world. I'm going to think about those two things a bit more. Bodily existence. Our bodies will be raised, real physical world. The whole creation will be renewed. Firstly, our bodies will be raised. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 says more about this. There are, uh, yeah. Have you got one before that? No, it's okay. Uh, let me read to you from verse 20. Uh, Paul says, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in turn. Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. 
So Paul says Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. Christ's resurrection is like the first pickings of a huge harvest. Like a farmer might take some of the grapes from the vine or some of the wheat from his field before harvesting the whole lot. Jesus' body was the first to be raised, but when he returns, the bodies of everyone who belongs to him will be raised as well. And just as the first fruits of a harvest give some indication of what the whole batch will be like, so Jesus' resurrection body tells us what our bodies will be like when they are raised. Like Jesus, our bodies will have continuity, will be recognizable in the new creation, but will also be transformed. It's not that these bodies will be thrown away and we get brand new ones, but that these bodies that God's given us are going to be raised and renewed. How God is going to do that, I do not know, especially when our body's been cremated or scattered into the sea, but God can do it and raise these bodies and renew them and perfect them. Later in the chapter, yep, okay, now we'll have the next verse. Thanks, Din. Here, verses 42 to 43. Uh, Paul likens this to a seed being sown and then growing into something far more impressive. You know, the way that seeds can grow into beautiful flowers shows that God is able to take some pretty unimpressive raw material and produce something wonderful and that's what he promises to do with our bodies so verse 42 43 says so will it be with the resurrection of the dead the body that is sown is perishable it is raised imperishable it is sown in dishonor it is raised in glory it is sown in weakness it is raised in power when our bodies are raised they will be completely free from all the effects of sin they will be those three things, imperishable and glorious and powerful. Imperishable, never subject to any kind of sickness or disease. All injury will be healed and there'll be no more pain. Just think of those people who live with long-term illness or constant pain. What a wonderful hope. Our bodies will be glorious, nothing dishonorable or embarrassing about our bodies. We'll have bodies to die for. Just think of those people whose bodies have been abused, those people who feel ashamed or embarrassed about their bodies for whatever reason. What a wonderful hope. And our bodies will be powerful, free from all weakness, completely healthy and strong forever. There'll be nothing that hinders us from living perfectly in obedience will be free from any propensity to sin. Wow, what a wonderful hope. I wonder if you've ever walked around a graveyard and read the inscriptions on the um, tombstones. It's kind of interesting to do. It reveals something of the hope that that person or their family um, had. A A common one says, forever in our hearts. It's nice. We're going to remember that person forever but the hope that we have as Christians is so much richer isn't it you know the Anglican funeral service contains these words I I didn't watch the funeral of Prince Philip 
yesterday, but I assume these words were used. Uh, we say, we commit their body to be buried in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life. Those words have dropped out of common usage, but for those who belong to Jesus, that hope remains a sure and certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life. We say in the creed, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins. What's next? The resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Our bodies will be raised and they'll be imperishable, powerful, glorious bodies. Secondly, the whole creation will be renewed. Often when we talk about our hope as Christians, we, we talk about dying and going to heaven. And I don't know, in the discussion you had at the beginning, I wonder if that's what you talked about. We're going to die and go to heaven. And, and that is true to an extent. When we die, our bodies will die and our spirits will go to be with Jesus in heaven. But that isn't the fulfillment of our hope. That isn't the end of the story. Here's a little um, next two slides, Din. Hopefully there's a timeline. Here you go. So, Jesus' resurrection and ascension, his body is the first fruits of a new creation. Uh, then at some point comes my death, when my body will die, but my spirit will go to heaven to be with Jesus. And then when Jesus returns, that is the fulfillment of our hope. When he returns and the creation is renewed and our bodies are raised, reunited with our spirits, and we get to live in the physical presence of God in a renewed creation. That's what our hope is for. And the resurrection shows that God's plan for the future is not to throw this world away and transport us all to a spiritual existence in the clouds. Rather, he's going to restore and renew this creation. Uh, look at these words from Romans 8, verses 19 to 21. For the creation waits in eager expectation. Had you thought about that? The, the creation is waiting eagerly. What's it waiting for? The children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. These verses are telling us the whole creation has been subjected to frustration. It's in decay and death. And the whole creation is waiting, longing, eagerly hoping, groaning for the day when Christ returns and the children of God are revealed and raised and glorified and the whole creation will share in that freedom and glory. So when we think of our hope as Christians, we shouldn't think of living in another place, a kind of strange, far-off place that we don't really have any handle on, but rather of living in this place, this world that we know and love, but this place restored and purged of all evil and set free and glorified, perfected. Jesus' physical resurrection gives us a glimpse of that new creation. And so we know it will be a physical world, just as much as it is now. A world that will delight our physical senses 
with sight and sound and taste and touch and smell, where we'll eat and drink, hopefully more than boiled fish, where we'll have social relationships, but free from pride or embarrassment or jealousy, where we'll enjoy wonderful music and maybe we'll play sport, but we won't feel sinful if we lose. We'll see all the sights and experience all the joys of a perfectly restored creation. You know, just think of the most beautiful, most enjoyable parts of this world. I don't know what that is for you, what place comes to mind, maybe an exquisite sunset or a sumptuous meal with good friends. And just think that those things that are so enjoyable, so wonderful, they're part of a world subject to frustration and decay. Just think how wonderful it's going to be when it's renewed and perfected. Jesus has been raised bodily from the dead, and his resurrection assures us that our bodies will be raised and the whole creation will be renewed. There's so much more we could say. You know, I've been reading Tim Keller's new book, Hope in Times of Fear, all about the resurrection and the meaning of Easter. Highly recommend it. I haven't quite finished it, but really, really good. Um, yeah, I've said enough for today. Let me finish with this. You know, when Jesus appeared first to his disciples, verse 36 in our passage, what does he say to them? Peace be with you. And at one level, it was just a common greeting, as how people said hello. But spoken by the risen Jesus, those words have huge significance. You know, the, the biblical concept of peace, the Hebrew word shalom, uh, means wholeness and harmony and prosperity. One writer says, in the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness and delight. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. We had that reading from Psalm 72 because it speaks about the kingdom of God, how the, the presence of the true king will bring healing to all of creation. There'll be wholeness, there'll be justice and righteousness and mercy. You know, that the kingdom of God is, is one way that the Bible talks about our hope. The kingdom of God has come partially now, but not yet fully. We're, we're longing for the fullness of the kingdom, and it will be a kingdom of justice and peace and harmony and prosperity. Mike McKinley, in his little commentary on Luke, says this, It is significant and wonderful that in his very first words to his disciples, Jesus bids them peace. In his bodily resurrection, Jesus secured the certain promise that all things would be made new, that we will one day live in a world of perfect peace and harmony. There will be a day when all of the brokenness and pain that sin has caused will be undone. C.S. Lewis wrote that the resurrection is the first fruits of the cosmic summer, which is coming on. Christ has risen, and so we shall rise. Uh, Lewis goes on, To be sure, it feels wintry enough still, but often in the very early spring it feels like that. 2,000 years are only a day or two by this scale. One really ought to say, the resurrection happened 2,000 years ago, in the same way in which you say, I saw a crocus yesterday. 
because we know what's coming behind the crocus. The spring comes slowly down this way, but the great thing is that the corner has been turned. We started with these, those words from 1 Corinthians 15, Paul saying, if, if Jesus hasn't been raised, our faith is futile. We are to be pitied. But friends, Christ has been raised. Our faith is not in vain. Our hope is real and it's sure and certain. The corner has been turned and summer's on its way. Shall we pray? Father, we thank and praise you that you have raised Jesus from the dead and that in his resurrection the new creation has begun. We thank you for the sure and certain hope that we have that our bodies will be raised like his, that his was the first fruits and that when he returns uh, we will be raised like him with bodies to die for. And we thank you that you have not given up on this this world, but you have pledged and promised and shown that you will renew it and transform it and perfect it. We pray, help us to long for that day. Help us to live in that hope. Help us to see the everyday implications that the resurrection brings to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.